Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 76 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. How are we? Yeah, going well today I think. Good. Yeah, looking yeah. forward to the show, some exciting stuff. How are you doing Pete? I'm doing very well Jack and yes. it's lovely to be here in your company and again I, you know, I don't want to dwell on it but it does sometimes seem like your initial enthusiastic response is like you're pulling yourself up from the very pits of the like lowest of oh, low really? depressions is, is that the case has no, it been a good not. week yeah so far it's only Monday after all yeah true true yeah we don't want to be like has that. it been a good week yeah it's been fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> ask me on Friday see how it goes so um, what have we been up to this week Paul anything particularly interesting I'm a little bit concerned um, I haven't seen many films this week to be honest I haven't either for um, some reason which is not good considering we do a film podcast but I've been hunting monsters right in um, what capacity in exactly? possibly the geekiest video game I've ever played in my life which is Monster Hunter World that uh, is which I've been some playing accolade. on the Xbox yeah it, I mean I you know I poured over a thousand hours into Destiny once upon a time and that is a fairly uh, involved game shall we the, say the funny so, thing uh, about Destiny is the more hours you pour in the more that your destiny is clear and that is that you will live the rest of your days alone yes so <laughs> it's very how's enough, it going yes. with Monster Hunter so far uh, I've heard stuff about it don't really know about it's it it's very yeah. addictive um, in fairness it pretty much does exactly what it says in the tin uh, I've been playing co-op with an old genie friend which is quite good fun uh, and you basically hunt monsters uh, and s- take their remains and parts from them and forge them into armour and then go and hunt even bigger monsters. Is it Paul so an MMO? That's what the kids talk about. Not, it's it? got some MMO-ish elements there is a little bit of uh, busy work involved shall we say to it's slightly grindy in places but actually the combat's very good. Uh, we're turning into a video game review here. Well we kind but, um, of are. Is yeah. there any way that you can segue seamlessly from Monster Hunter video yes, game chat into films? I can because my one of my many namesakes, um, the talented of the two Paul Anderson film directors, Paul W.S. Anderson, <laughs> I believe is turning Monster Hunter into a film. Is this correct Pete? Yeah it's weird in the, in the canon of Paul W.S. Anderson that he would take a sort of bankable video game prof- uh, a property and try and flip it for profit but it yeah. seems like that's what he might be doing he did to such break a good tradition. did such a good job and did such an accurate kind of adaptation of Resident Evil I don't really see what could go wrong here. Well there have been what six of <laughs> yeah. those movies I think and I believe that the last of which may have been the most profitable so it's obviously going right for him at least in one uh, aspect. Of his so here's a question career. then guys, are there any good video game films? Wow uh, Jack, uh, what do you think? No I don't think there is no? actually uh, the last one I saw was probably the Assassin's Creed film. Oh, I haven't got around to that yet. Oh, no, so, but... As a lover of the video games, it just yeah, it just wasn't for me at all. It's so. it's very poor. I think I talked about it on this show actually. I Michael Fassbender's involved, yeah. Marion Cotillard's involved. Do you think this is going to be a serious thing? No, From the director of Macbeth as well, which is actually quite decent. Bad. Uh, and going back, I mean, lest we forget, Paul, Silent I mean, Hill actually is not. It's not an amazing film, but I'd say it's probably one of the most accurate recreations of the Which universe. Which one is that? Is that the one with Rodder Mitchell in it? Yes, I think that was oh, that the second one. No, that's the first Which one. Which is I the think. one with Sean Bean in? That's the first one, isn't it? That might be the first one, actually. Yeah, is that the second one. I forget. I get confused. Did you ever see Alone in the Dark? Wasn't Alone in the that Dark was awful. Like the worst? Alone one in the Dark is that, Alone in the Dark is genuinely one of the worst films I've ever seen, and that's down there with Ginger Dead Man. I've got some so. love for uh, for Street Fighter with Jean Claude oh, Van Damme wow. and Kylie Minogue. So oh wow! Mortal yeah. Combat. That was Paul W. S. Anderson as it well. Was. I think it was. Yeah. Um, what else have we had? The Super Mario Brothers movie that missed the point of the franchise completely. <laughs> is that, that the one where they winner. turned everyone into like dinosaurs? Yes. Oh, wow. I yeah. love that film. Danny DeVito's in that, isn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, Dennis Hopper. Yeah, yeah. Dennis Hopper and and, Bowser. And, and it's, it's easy for us, like, quite justifiably to sort of take a big dump on all these video game movies that have been largely uh, terrible. However, on the horizon, we have got Alicia Vikander, serious actress, in Tomb Raider, sort of rebooting that franchise. And we've talked about it on the show before, but... How are our, can I gauge our levels of excitement at this point? I mean, the posters are up in the cinema now. It's just around the corner. How are we feeling I about it? I think it'll be fine. I just, I'm just i just not sure that video games should necessarily be adapted to films. It's a, again, it's, it's almost like, the, the, I suppose they've had success with comics and they make money, so they'll do it. But I'm not sure it's the, the best format suited to films, to be honest. You, it's that, just, it, well, it's that inbuilt audience, though, isn't it, Paul? I mean, from a bottom line, uh, oh, no, I, kind of perspective. Commercially, that's why it happens. I feel they get what they do. I just, do, do you think there, there, there could be a good one? Or do you think that the, for, the, the mediums are just too different? I've got a feeling they're just arguably too different. I mean, you, fi- you, you have that kind of almost hope maybe it's forlorn that there'll be the right combination of director and material at some point that will really do justice to a world but I suppose the problem is and maybe what you're touching on with the you know the two mediums don't, don't really go together is when you play a video game you're actively involved right you, you sort of embody that character and you make your own decisions when you take that act, that same source material and make it into something that you're going to passively consume well, yeah, it's it, just it, mindless it's just, for example if you, if you Tomb Raider the recent Tomb Raider is a prime example they're very action heavy games quite fun to play but just to watch that is just you're just going to watch an hour and a half of mindless action which is fine it needs to be done very well and it's kind of then more enjoyable to like I I like to watch my fiance play Tomb Raider because like you know she'll do stuff really good and she'll do stuff like hilariously badly as well and that's more entertaining (laughs) maybe no no disrespect to Alicia Vikander but I don't know if she's going to be able to live up to that sort of high bar I'd have liked to have seen the Halo Neil Brompamp's Halo I'd Mm. like to have seen that but we pretty much got like if you look at uh, District 9 a lot of the character and creature design in that and the weapons and stuff feel like they could have been ripped straight from a Halo movie I've got a and they may well have been actually because that got very close to getting off the ground that might have been an interesting one to see, sure. if, to see if you could have done a good I, job of I that I remember a few um, years ago Paul I was excited and you know don't laugh too hard at me but I was excited about Prince of Persia because the lead was going to be <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal and yeah. what, what I haven't seen that was that bad as well uh, I yeah. assume so <laughs> it's, it's not good I mean those games again so enjoyable such a, a real, well realised world and then you know you kind of go through the motions a bit Jack is there hope in the future are you looking forward to Tomb Raider in any way? Uh, from the teaser trailers, I, I I probably would say I am actually because I mean I love the games, so it'd be interesting to see. But what that's always the thing, isn't it? It is. It's that almost like the worst thing really about it. Yeah. Me, but I think from the teasers, I've seen some pretty good things so far. So fingers I guess, crossed. I guess as much as we can, lads. Probably what we want to do is keep our expectations tempered as low as possible, and then yeah. if the film turns out to be decent, well, that would be fantastic. That's satisfying. Yeah. And if we go in, you know, with high hopes, obviously we could be disappointed. I mean, um, I'm, the one I'm not looking forward to would be Paul W. S. Anderson's adaptation of Monster Hunter. Yeah, going back right to where back we to started. Yeah, I, I just don't think. I think well, what the awfulness of the Resident Evil films. Is there a female protagonist in that game? I don't know. Neither probably... Jovovich needs to work, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, we will return uh, anon with our what section comes next, Paul? What, what section comes next? Work? Popcorn movies next. With week. our popcorn movies section. So yes, we're diving into the popcorn counter, uh, and I'm going to go first, I think, with a film that I was very much looking forward to, and I have to say, 
let me down a little bit. This is um, Jungle from Greg McLean, who is a director that, as regular listeners will know, I'm a very big fan of. Uh, I would still say probably most famous for Wolf Creek. Um, slightly inferior sequel that a lot of people didn't like, and I did, Wolf Creek 2 and Rogue, amongst I others. I like Rogue. Yeah, Rogue was good fun. Uh, but he's a, and um, more recently, um, the one that James Gunn was going to direct, The Belco Experiment. Yeah, um, sure. We reviewed so, yeah, that so, on the show. Yeah. So Greg McLean's a director I'm, I'm quite f- very fond of, I would say. I think he's a good genre filmmaker. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is an actor I think is kind of uh, take, taken the smart, kind of almost um, Elijah Wood kind of career path when dropping off of a major franchise. So I think Daniel Radcliffe's doing some interesting films with mixed degree of success. Um, most notably Swiss Army Man I think is probably his best film I still haven't seen it since, yeah I should, um, should catch up well it. probably his best film full stop not since Harry Potter certainly including the Harry Potter it Swiss Army Man was very good it, it, um, it, it's not a spoiler but is he dead or is it Paul Dano who's dead in that movie uh, Daniel Radcliffe's dead in that. Daniel Radcliffe's dead, yeah. so maybe that's why his performance stands yeah. up, right? Yes, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but so Jungle basically is based on a true story of um, a bizarre true story of a, a guy, an Israeli guy, who goes off backpacking around, I think South America. Correct me if I'm wrong, um, and ends up with a like a more experienced, like this more experienced kind of crocodile Dundee esque character who leads them off into the jungle, promising them this wild adventure they've never been on before. Actually, turns out this guy in real this and this is true. Actually, turns out this guy is wanted by the local authorities for just leading tourists on a merry chase into the jungle, and like people have died and stuff like this. And this guy just seems to be just some random head case, <laughs> which is quite concerning, really. And it basically focuses on Daniel Radcliffe's trip through the jungle that goes very, very wrong. Hence the title of Jungle. Um, it's interesting for me to see Greg McLean try and do something different. You've seen this, Pete, haven't you? And I, I wouldn't say this is a straight-up horror film insofar as it's what Greg not, McLean's yeah, made I mean, earlier. We, we should or explain kind of exploitation-y. Yeah, because you say, like, do something different. And we're thinking back to what, you know, you were saying at the beginning about uh, Wolf Creek. People go into a sort of um, a malevolent environment out of their depth. Then we've got Rogue. People go into a well, malevolent yeah, environment out, yeah. of, out of their depth. And the Belko experiment, the same. But you're right. Like, this has a, a bit more of a... It's more of a serious film. Than I think I it is, it and it's sort of um, this, like a like a road trip, albeit not on the road, but on sort of jungle paths and stuff like that. So you have a bit more of a, a fluid narrative that sort of weaves in and out of these different encounters. Having said all that, like I saw this a few months ago, and I remember barely anything about. I would it. agree with you to be honest. I said I don't think it's a raging success, which is unfortunate because I think it could have been very good. There's a couple of good scenes, and the decent scenes are where Craig, Craig McLean's playing to his strength. So. The stuff where nasty shit happens to him in the jungle really is the best stuff in the film. The rest of it, I just it just wasn't that exciting to be honest. It never really and it never really stepped up a gear when it needed to. So it's it's okay, but I would say it probably veers on the side of disappointment for me. What have you got, Pete? Um, first for me this week is a documentary from the end of 2017 called Born Strong. A documentary? Huh? Yes, Never. indeed. Wow. <laughs> uh, this documentary deals with... Uh, do, do you guys know about the Arnold Classic? No, I don't think so. Silence fills the room. Yeah, is it yeah. Commando? Is it the film Commando? No, it is. That's it, an Arnold classic. It, it is Arnold Schwarzenegger, though. Um, <laughs> oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger basically set up the Arnold Classic as uh, something similar to the world's strongest man. But what we have is a competition that involves five events where the strongest men in the world who want to compete in this competition are whittled down to a remaining, I think it's 10 
who go into the final competition over a, a couple of days. And in front of a live audience, they have to do basically like stupidly heavy lifting of stuff. Um, within this group, we've got uh, a guy from like Lithuania who trains under an athletic stadium in the cold because he wants to make his training harder than the actual competition. Uh, we have Eddie Hall, who you might know about, is this like kind of frohawk guy from Stoke on Trent in the UK. Oh, I've trained with him, yeah. Oh, have you? Yeah. yeah. No, no, of course but, I haven't. I bench him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I bench him, yeah. The, the, the guys that the film focuses on, but I think there are four main sort of focal points. Oh, and one of them is, um, oh, I wish I could remember his first name, Hapthor, I think is the Icelandic guy who plays the mountain in Game of Thrones. Yes, okay, I know that guy, yeah. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but my fiancé informs me that he's a big deal. He's a fairly big guy, yeah. All all these top competitors, they're (laughs) like £400. And the interesting thing about this documentary, I suppose, is that they have all, to a greater or lesser degree, come to terms with the fact that they can't maintain what they're doing for very long because they will die. Because carrying around 400 to 450 pounds of body weight ain't that good for your body and ain't that good for your heart. However, they're all in their own way absolutely single-minded and driven on their quest to prove basically that they're the strongest guy on earth, right? And these kinds of documentary narratives do appeal to me. You know, I've I've been into the cross-training ones that they've got on Netflix this one's on Netflix at the moment as well just I guess with any sporting endeavour seeing what it is that drives a man or woman to dedicate all their time to just one pursuit and so yes do I really have that much interest in you know lifting a th- I think Eddie Hall lifts something like a thousand and fifty pounds on a bar at one point in this documentary I, what, I can't... cash actual cash thousand and fifty yeah. weight pounds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't even fathom like what that means. I mean, you're lifting like five heavyweight MMA fighters or something like that. It's incredible to behold. The documentary itself, relatively run of the mill, but the subject matter, pretty, pretty, pretty engaging. So yeah, I, I check it out if you're interested in any of that stuff. It's called Born Strong. Good. Paul, what's next for you? Uh, I've got uh, a film that is, what I would say, one of my favourite horror films of all time um, that I had the joy of watching in 4K, which is very, very nice. Uh, this is Dario Argento's 1977 cult classic Suspiria, um, based around, I think loosely to describe what goes on here, based around some kind of haunted ballet school um, and uh, starring Jessica Harper. And students come here and students die. There's a coven of witches uh, involved and it's all very 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 crazy with an excellent goblin soundtrack shadows um, on sheets Paul shadows on sheets yes. is what I think about here yes, no, to, that's fair. can yeah. I tell you yeah. why go on yeah because the last time that I saw Suspiria as I can remember was when I was in hospital in South Korea the night before I was going to have like a fairly intrusive surgery and I was told that my surgery wasn't going to be till the afternoon so I stayed up and I chose a film to watch great idea to watch Suspiria and then be in a hospital cubicle with actual shadows moving around outside of my area. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah not good. really <laughs> unsettling. So yeah, this thing not not. But yeah, I think it's relaxing. you know I think there's uh, there's some people out there that, that hate this film um, and they're probably fine. Who are these people? I don't. Well, um, I have I have heard that people don't like this film. Um, I don't. It's just such a visual masterpiece like Argento is such a visual filmmaker the use of colour here in in this film is just absolutely incredible if you if you haven't seen it Jack have you seen Suspiria? 
No, I haven't. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> and you are in any way a fan of horror, seek it out. It's not... It's probably I, why I haven't seen I it. I would... Be- Bear in mind that the way films were made in Italy at that point, the dubbing is a bit crap. There's there's no arguing that. Um, but it was uh, just the problem with Italian films at the time in how they were made. Um, but it, for me, it doesn't harm it. It's just a very, very well put together visual horror film with some very, very powerful scenes. And some of the shots of in the ballet school and like the building design and that kind of thing is just... Uh, Incredible, and I think it's who did we say was remaking this at the moment? I know Tom York's working Luca on the soundtrack. G- Gal Galdino or whatever that guy, the guy who called me by your name. Yeah, call me by your name, and I am love, and uh, a bigger splash. People might have seen. Yeah, so it might be one of the one, might be one of the rare good horror remakes. But yeah, if you haven't seen Suspiria, check it out. I think it's about to come out in 4K over here actually. And if you have got the ability to watch it in 4K, it is actually a very good uh, remaster. I think they've oversaw it in a lab in Germany. So I've never seen Suspiria look this good. So that was very nice. Um, Pete, what have you got next? Um, I have got another one that you should check out from the past if you haven't, which is Double Indemnity from 1944. I've never seen Double Indemnity, I'll be honest. This uh, is from the filmmaker Billy Wilder, who people know from things like um, Some Like It Hot, that I think I talked about on the show not that long ago. Um, It stars uh, Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. And Barbara Stanwyck in this film plays this woman who is married to a sort of workaday, fairly well-off, fairly miserable guy. Um, When she meets Fred McMurray, they very quickly have an attraction to each other. And he, in his capacity, in his professional capacity, is an insurance salesman. So he starts to feed her information about something called double indemnity, which is this particular kind of specialised payout in an insurance claim where a person dies in particular circumstances, thus you're paid out double the normal premium on the insurance. From this hatches a little plan whereby the two are going to team up, take out the husband in a very creative manner and get away scot-free with all the money and live happily ever after. Obviously, it might not go as smoothly as all of that. Um, This is a a phenomenally good piece of work. Um, Really, really impressive. Uh, Not that that surprised me with the calibre of the director, but I hadn't seen it before. Um, The dialogue, I have to highlight, if one thing could be highlighted, the dialogue in this film, because there are these amazing like little callbacks to pieces of dialogue from earlier in the film. There's this idea about... um, straight down the line the two keep saying to each other at various points and in various sort of cadences it's straight down the line baby it's straight down the line because the plot is going to revolve around a situation occurring on a train track but it's also about being straight down the line in terms of doing a legitimate and above board thing and something that sort of runs cleanly from a to b to c screenwriters in 2018 could take a lot from something like Double Indemnity. This is an absolute treasure, so I would check it out. Uh, it is available... Oh, it, it, I think it's still available on movie, but it may have just gone off. If okay. not, you can get it on disc, obviously, yeah, it's and disc, around the definitely. place. So, Paul, take us take us out of this section, I guess. Well, yes, um, I am going to take us out of this section. Uh, we'll be back shortly with our coming attractions. So, coming attractions, the section in the show where we talk about some films we're excited about in the Do you know who's got a coming attraction this week? Who? Jack's got one. Has he now? I have got a coming attraction. Jack coming in hot. Do you want to open up? What have you got first? Uh, Maybe save it for next week. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Right, so my coming attraction this week is a film called A Prayer Before Dawn. Um, It's directed by a French director called Jean-Stéphane Savoie. I think that's, that's a good pro- effort there. I think that's, that's yes, how you pronounce it. 
Um, so this story is about an English boxer, so it's based on a true story, um, who's played by Joe Cole, who you may know from uh, the BBC drama Peaky Blinders. Um, and Black Mirror. And Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Mirror. Black Mirror. Hang, well, hang yeah. the DJ, that guy. Hang the DJ, yeah. yeah. Um, and so he gets incarcerated in a notorious uh, Thai prison, I think. Um, and basically, as he's an English boxer, he's a boxer at heart and he does all that at home. Um, he's got to fight in Mai Thai tournaments in, within the prison to earn his freedom. Um, the visuals looked amazing, like really quite cool to see a prison sort of scenario set in Asia. Uh, all the tattooed like prisoners and stuff like that really sort of grabbed me. Um, I'm quite into the sort Today, of... Jack, is this a, is this a fancy Grabbed me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I think the whole Mai Tai thing is, is very popular at the moment, so I think this film sort of fits in with current times. Yeah, and just to like underline your recommendation, Jack, currently holding a hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes score for what that's worth. So okay. generally positive critical yeah, reviews definitely. coming coming early on, uh, I guess. When's it that. out, do we know? Uh second of March. Okay. Not yes. long to wait then not if we, long. I don't know if it'll come here, but it'll be available not, somewhere no. yes. to, uh, around that time. <laughs> might be on in Bath though. Right, Playboy, Paul's yeah. about to move to <laughs> fancy bath. <laughs> Uh, do you want to go next, Paul, or shall I? Uh, I'll go next, yeah. Um, talking of films that have a c- critical... Um, I don't know what this has on Rotten Tomatoes, to be honest, but I should probably say what film I'm talking about. Uh, this is out Friday, so I've done well here, Pete. I finally listened to you and picked a film that's out very soon. Um, this is Christian Christian Goodergast, I think is how you pronounce his name. I'll probably ruin that, or Goodgast. Uh, this is Den of Thieves, um, starring, amongst others, Jared Butler. Uh, is it... What was his name again? Did we say O'Shea Jackson Jr. Um, Pablo Cubes, Schreiber, Ice Cube's kid. Right? Um, who else have we got in this? There's, 50 oh, cent. Fifty cents in it. Yeah, I tried to. Wow, <laughs> tried to stay. So basically, that. what Den of Thieves is, it looks to me like, um, like I could, it could like be a fans, a fan movie of Heat. To be honest, with how it looks, it looks like all these guys have got together and they decided it's been. It has been a while since we've had kind of a very good. It's Cops Gerard versus, Butler as well, isn't it? Yeah, Gerard Butler, the man who takes everything too seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's been a while since we've had like a good sort of big budget cops versus robbers sort of action drama. Um, They're robbing the Federal Reserve in this as well. Yeah, so I mean the town high, was the town was quite good. Um, we haven't had anything that gets to, that hits the height of heat. To be honest, I think this wants to be heat from the look of the trailers but I would say there's going to be some good set pieces in it I think there'll be entertainment to be had I don't think it will be awful Mm. Um, what do you think, Pete? I'm well, Gerard Butler's, uh, you know, held, <laughs> your back a, held back a geostorm recently, so he's obviously <laughs> capable of big things. But I don't know. Metacritic's at fifty at the moment. Okay, so, pretty so split we'll, down the middle. We'll, we, we will be back with a review of Den of Thieves next week, though. So for sure. Yes. Um, having told Paul that we should pick films that are coming out really soon, I've gone ahead and uh, bucked my own trend by <laughs> picking a film that's just had its premiere at Sundance. So it probably won't be out for months. Oh, you weren't joking when you said that. No. You? Okay. Uh, but it, uh, you'll understand why. I've, I've got this one uh, brought this one into the light Paul it's called The Miseducation of Cameron Post do you know about this? I have heard something about I was reading something from director today. Paul and you'll appreciate this uh, Desiree Akivan who you will know from Creep 2 uh, uh, yes opposite yeah, Margie Plath yeah. and then being the writer director and star of Appropriate Behaviour which was really really good about okay. two years ago um, it stars Chloe Grace Moretz Jennifer Earle uh, amongst others oh and Sasha Lane who of course was the lead in American Honey oh yes so another yeah. reason to get excited 
excited, but basically Desiree Akivan, I would say, is like top five to me most exciting female filmmakers. Not that it matters that, you know, female or male, but like of the crop of young yeah. female f- filmmakers coming up right now, I think she's going to do big things. So I'm really excited about this. I don't have a solid cinema release date, but it says here <laughs> 2018. So okay, yeah, we'll see. In, in the future. We'll see. Look, look for out a movie in four years' time. The Miseducation <laughs> of Cameron Post, though, is the kind of title that you probably won't forget. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll look, look, look out for that. Right, well, that's it for coming attractions then. Uh, we'll be back shortly with feature reviews. So back we are today, lads, two feature reviews. I think all three of us are going to pitch in on the first of these two reviews, right? Which is for Early Man. Early Man uh, from Ardman Studios and Nick Park, of course, is like the creative head behind the movie. Uh, do you want to set it up? Do you want me to set it up? You can set it up. Everybody's got an opinion here. Yeah, you can set yeah, up. Early set Man. Up. That's fine. That's Who fine. directed this? Is it Nick Park himself? Or okay, yeah, that's I guess first point. So this is the first film that Nick Park has directed solo. Whereas he worked alongside, I think it's um, Phil Lord and Ben Box, I want to say. I wrote these things down earlier on. Um, But, yes, hold on, here's my note. Um, Previously, Peter Lord, sorry, not Phil Lord. Uh, Steve Box, so both of those names completely uh, butchered. (laughs) That's why Uh, you have notes, isn't it? (laughs) So, yeah, he had uh, co-directorial responsibilities on both Chicken Run and Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Which were uh, both excellent. He's, yeah, solo director. Hopes for this obviously incredibly high because Ardman Studios is close to a national treasure in the UK. It's almost like the UK's pi- answer to Pixar, isn't it? Really, kind of let's, is. Let's be yeah. honest. That's kind, of, that's kind of the prestige we hold their films in. I, I certainly do. Anyway, stop motion, obviously, rather than sort of um, digitally created uh, images. But yeah, really, really high expectations. Maybe slightly too high. I don't know. What's the, what's the premise of the film so, before we get into what we thought of it? Yeah. So this film deals with first of all in in sort of very quick um, order the dying out of the dinosaurs the invention of football uh, a group of stone age villagers all of them a little bit dim uh, rallying together to uh, try to fight back against an evading force from the bronze age as the two ages meet one another in order to settle their differences basically this is all going to come down to a a great competition and that competition will be contested on the field of uh, early football between early men uh it turns out that the stone age men and women may have actually invented the game of football but they certainly aren't the stronger of the two forces when it leads into the actual game itself before i talk any more let's hear a little clip a rabbit that's it that's it i've got him Nice try, though. Let's use an element of surprise. Right out, Chief. Ow! I got him! No, I haven't! Great! Champion! So that clip there, I think, was one of two funny scenes in the entire film. Um, this, I'm going to get right to it, to be honest. I, the expectation was, was massively high for this, for me, to be honest. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Ardman's previous work. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought pretty much everything they've done has been great uh, up until now. Um, 
I don't understand what they were trying to do with this film, to be perfectly honest. As you've said, you've touched on it at the beginning, they, they kind of cover off the death of the dinosaurs, and then you've got the, the cavemen being displaced, the people from the Stone Age being displaced by people from the Bronze Age. Great. That's all covered in about the first two minutes. There's, and you've got this really rich prehistoric world that they could have mined, and they could have, and there were some incredible stop motion dinosaurs right at the beginning that looked fantastic. Yeah, and, and, le- and let's not absolutely skim over that, Paul, because I think it's worth mentioning before we get into any of the negative side of it. Right, this world, as you said, and perfect choice of words, I think. It's a rich, rich environment. I mean, we've just recently reviewed Coco, which yeah. has a similar thing going for it. And one thing that you definitely can't. Um, put against the or in the negative column for this film is that the world is not beautifully realised and Arden no, Studios haven't done even, great work I yet. certainly wouldn't even try and do that and I think it almost is, is a given now that Arden and stuff is going to look great and and this looks great there's no arguing that so well done tip of the cap to Arden again for incredible stop motion animation it takes a lot of effort and it's fantastic so I will give them all the credit in the world for that except I don't understand what they were trying to make with this film you've got you could have had such a rich diverse world with a prehistoric the with dinosaurs, with woolly mammoths, with a lot of caveman kind of antics, that kind of thing would have been quite good fun. Almost similar in ways to Ice Age. What we get, though, is all that's done in about, I would say, two to five minutes. And then it's just a film about football, 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 football. But you're football, a big fan of football, though, aren't you, Paul? Football, football, football. And that's all it talks about. And I'm just like, right, I'm not... I'm not a big fan of football, no. But well, you, you bleed the red and white of uh, Bristol City, don't you? Yeah, that's because you made me wear that shirt on my stag do, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, but do you know what? You're a football fan, Pete. You, yeah. And even you would... Come on. like, Am I wrong here to say that what was the focus? I don't get it. No, I mean, I, I'm basically with you, Paul. Uh, we've got this ensemble of voice performances from the likes of uh, Tom Hiddleston here playing the the sort of Gallic uh, French accented villain uh, Timothy Spalls in this thing um, we've got your favourite Eddie Redmayne yeah, is also yeah. in this thing as the sort of uh, wide-eyed protagonist so we've got all these people gathered together Maisie Williams as well plays the uh, the female sort of turncoat character in, in this thing uh, we've got all these characters Johnny Vegas, Richard Iowadi but like I feel that they're underserved by the material and I feel that that you're right in saying that what we have is a sort of, um, forgive the pun, but like a film of two halves. In the first half, we've got this setup which seems promising as you've touched upon and then in the second half... Probably in the first half half of the first half we've got You're right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, maybe even the first 20 minutes, that crucial first 20 minutes of the game. But then (laughs) later on, this does sort of devolve into this very standard and predictable plot that all does revolve around this uh, sporting competition, which is fine but I think the worst part of that Paul is that a lot of the writing here feels fairly retrograde and feels fairly lazy and by the last quarter of the film we're boiling things down to just like very heavy handed tired kind of puns on the world of football and sports well, the, co- the football commentators I assume that was the two football commentators I assume that was Alan Hansen and someone else in it, it I'm, not sure, I'm not sure but, they definitely sounded but, like but the their way. puns like were, were terrible and I mean yeah. you know for me not to laugh at bad puns anyone who's worked with me ever will attend that I, you know, I'm can be responsible for some, uh, and certainly <laughs> normally would laugh at them. Only when he's listened to the podcast for a long period of time, would probably agree with that as well. But if I'm not laughing at bad puns, then if then something's going wrong here. I just the the script. It felt like they. It felt. I don't know. I just don't know what happened. Well, the I script mean, was not good. Because, not because good. My, my take was here that 
that initially we have like little nods and winks to things like, oh, okay, so the Stone Age people are this this displaced group group of people, as you said, who may have invented the game of football and turn out to be terrible at it, which is obviously a wink to England and yeah. the English football team. And that kind of stuff's very good natured and it's quite enjoyable. But then it really does take a plunge. And I think we get, yeah, we just get down to like, like half-baked punning and, well, and Maisie Williams character is called is it Maisie Williams character is, is called, called Guna, Guna which is right. an Arsenal reference but like there's nothing to the reference it's just that and it's not an accent it's clearly there for some kind of reason I don't know if Nick Park's an Arsenal fan maybe but Jack jump in here what what do you think about at least what we're saying about the writing of this film I just became incredibly bored with the writing I think you know the dialogue was just didn't really fit for me I guess um, and like the whole football stuff just really just put me off entirely I think I hated it to be quite honest with you <laughs> wow okay um, because I absolutely love you know all Ardman's previous endeavours you know like Chicken Run and obviously Wallace and Gromit and it just made me so miserable that this was a film that Ardman had put out well I, I, I do I do agree I wouldn't I think I, I think I still there was enough of the animation that I liked but the writing I definitely did not like and I think the problem I have with this is is normally uh, again regular listeners will know anything that has a broad appeal normally I will steer well clear of I don't like it I don't like it when it plays the middle ground and for me something that plays the middle ground it has to do it incredibly well and up until up until this afternoon there were two studios that did that there were Pixar and Ardman now this for me felt like this felt like something that could have been just made for ITV like it really did not feel it did not feel like a a film to be honest that it wasn't good enough to our transatlantic listeners ITV is a sort of less well regarded TV station in the UK (laughs) Um, yeah I mean one thing I would say Paul is uh, and Jack is that I would be interested to see how this plays to a very young audience because some of the material did seem to me like maybe it's not working for me maybe it would work for eight year old me so there Absolutely, is that. Yeah. I mean, it's very easy for us to overlook something like that coming at it from the perspective that we do as being a little bit older. Now, does no, that that's fine, the but film? They're not, I wouldn't say these are these are not explicitly marketed as kids, though. In fairness, I no. But it, but what it does do is a lot of trade in the kind of um, ice age type material where people get hit on the head and fall over, and maybe that would play quite well to a young audience. Yeah. I don't know. So we'd have to wait and see. And you know, yes, we have this sort of positive message about the female character not being allowed to play football and therefore changing sides, joining the Stone Age team and showing her worth on the field all that's fairly well intentioned but like when we've seen Jack you were mentioning about Armand's previous work something like Curse the Weir Rabbit is does quite a good job of subverting subverting like horror movies oh yeah Curse, Curse the Weir Rabbit is brilliant whereas this doesn't do a particularly good job even of subverting the sports movie or the football movie that it maybe thinks it's I think if, doing. if this had been their first film after Wallace and Gromit it probably would have given it a pass and gone okay they've not made a feature length they've not done feature length before this is fair enough like you can see why the writing wouldn't be tight well, enough but it's not like with what they've done for is just so much better than this and that's an interesting thing because I think those characters Wallace and Gromit in particular are so sort of beloved and they're all to do with and correct me if I'm wrong but they're to do with sort of like very British life mm. yeah, like absolutely. village life and the mundanity of day to day existence and then a sprinkle of sort of magic and you know speak, talking animals and that kind of thing <laughs> whereas what we have here is characters that we don't know who are introduced as you said Paul very very quickly there's no very story quickly. is there it's just, and, it's and just then, immediately the film's going and you're like where, who are these and people and they're just yeah. supposed to be then types it's like one of them's called Asbo Paul. Yeah, one of them in 2018 is yeah. called Asbo and we've just got characters who get 
you know, he's the dim one. Oh, he's the deluded one. He's the weird accented foreign one. Yeah. And that's it. And it's kind of puddled deep and a bit disappointing, particularly because a lot of the material isn't aiming at the kids it's aiming to go over their heads and yeah. connect with adults and i don't think it's working on that level jack anything else that we've sort of missed out here anything positive so. i mean i don't know the I've, animation the, animation, clay, the yeah. claymation absolutely fantastic and it always is and i think that's what draws a lot of people to it because they've seen this before and they want more of it mm. do you know what i mean yeah it's, did you notice that one um sort of visual gag in the film with the claymation stuff where somebody gets strangled and then they have finger imprints on yes. their neck yeah. beautiful <laughs> yeah. or their nose the yes nose thing. yes yeah. that's right not their neck yeah, their yeah. nose yeah beautiful that yeah like things like that are great and that's what they're very good at i just think if you know maybe it recruits some more writers if you look at this compared to the, the strength of coco and the, like the message coco had in it like and again like the writing there just Guys, animate, maybe get just get some new team of writers on board. And I mean, this has its moments. I mean, like Timothy Spall, who plays the uh, like elder of the group, yeah. uh, returning because he's worked on Chicken Run, I think, Timothy Spall. Um, yeah, he has this line, oh, I can't play, I'm old, I'm nearly 32. Which... Again, it's a football gag, though, isn't it? It's not really... Yeah, but it's sort of like <laughs> a, a, an age gag and, and sort of a, a gag that worked for me on more than one level because I think that in our society, sort of youth-obsessed society, people of our age Paul you do see on social media saying like oh at my age I can't be doing this or yeah, that and it's true, like yeah. well, what are you talking about you're in your 30s so like little bits of writing I think work but overall yeah I think, it, I think it, it peaks, it, it peaks so at mildly amusing but never got laugh out of funny form no. personally um, yeah not not overly instructed to be honest and just a little bit too predictable as well yeah. right it kind of went through the motions and then and then it finished. Oh, and we can't, Paul, we can't leave this section without saying, what's the name of the band that I keep forgetting? The Kaiser Chiefs. They play Everyone's a... favourite band. I Predict a Riot. Can we just have a moratorium on I Predict a Riot and say that we're never going to use it in any TV or film again? <laughs> Especially not when the lyrics are talking about a guy in a tracksuit assaulting you at a bus stop and we're supposed to be in the Stone Age. Like, yeah, what, with Tom Hiddleston doing a French These accent. choices are very odd to me and it feels like <laughs> this has maybe been on the shelf for like a decade and a half. That's the only way it can be explained. I I don't know a bit baffling a bit disappointing right lads yes yeah, completely agree um we'll be back shortly with a review of 12 strong so the second feature for today lads uh, now that we've had time to decompress from early man is a directorial feature debut from a director called Nikolai Fuglsig, if I'm doing it justice. This one is called 12 Strong, and it stars Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth, uh, based on a true story, as we're told in bold type very early on. Uh, 12 Strong tells the story of a special forces unit who were like the first unit to be dropped into Afghanistan post 9-11, tasked with bringing down the Taliban as quickly as possible um, or at least delivering serious damage to the regime by essentially getting themselves into strategic positions within northern Afghanistan and then calling in airstrikes that would take out strongholds that existed in that area. At the beginning of the film we have this um, section of a few minutes where we get a kind of condensed pressy of the rise of the Taliban through the sort of 80s, 90s and on to the terrible events of September 11th, 2001. And then we meet our crew uh, populated by, as, as I mentioned, Chris Hemsworth, also 
also Michael Pena and also Michael, Michael Shannon. Shannon that the show is a big fan of uh, and they're going to have to find a way to keep their promises particularly the promises they've made to their wives that they are going to make it home in one piece somehow whilst working alongside an Afghani warlord and his uh, crew of men who may or may not be trustworthy. Here's a clip. Teaming up with a warlord that we know nothing about. We're not going to be able to tell our enemies from our allies. Every step we take is going to be on a minefield from a hundred different wars. And no one's ever called in a smart bomb airstrike from a B-52. So anyone who tells you they've done this before and has experience in this is lying, sir. There's no playbook here. We're going to have to write it ourselves. I briefed five potential captains for this mission. About a hundred years of military experience between them. you're the only one that sees it the way it is so yeah as you can probably tell from that clip um chris hemsworth uh takes the role quite seriously which is quite nice i think uh and actually the cast i think pete are probably one of the best things about this um hemsworth i think is very watchable in this this kind of role kind of i would say a similar kind of performance to what we've seen in black hat as opposed to his more comic stuff in the the uh, marvel films yeah although um, i remember coining the expression hemsworthian blankness when yes. we did uh, black hat and i think he's better maybe here in terms of you know a bit less blankness than he was there and i think he's developing quite nicely as yeah. an actor really hemsworth. what do you, what can we get what did you call this film as we came out of it I, uh, I, I, you want to get this off well, your chest having said that hemsworth is taking it seriously this doesn't take it very seriously but um i went for call of duty modern thorfare yeah i'm wow. sorry <laughs> i'm Sorry, but you'll understand why when we get into the yeah. Sort of and I think this, so this, 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 that kind of kind of leads into what I want to say about the film. Really, is that I wish Hollywood and filmmakers would realise that you can't have a, a tr- truly poignant war film when your set pieces all look like they've been ripped straight out of a video game. And this is the the film's biggest problem. The, it's exciting in places. Um, and the set pieces are enjoyable, but they are so over the top. It's just completely off kilter with the tone of the rest of the film. But that's an interesting choice of words, Paul, because you said the set pieces are enjoyable, and I don't disagree. And then what you said about the fact that you can't have it sort of both ways, don't you feel that kind of this is playing to the crowds this is playing to the masses because we do get a lot of this kind of film where you've got sort of serious issues. This is a sort of by and large based on true story right real men real responsibility real suffering real injury and so on but at the same time what a lot of the audience here might want is to have something enjoyable happen on screen so some of the most rousing moments of the film are these sort of sweeping horseback entrances because of course the Afghanis are using horses so the American soldiers team up and use horses as well and you're right it's enjoyable and maybe all the better for it, but then that sits oddly with a story about yeah, I mean, but such I, serious you know, things. You, I think you, you can do it. You can have enjoyable set pieces. The Hurt Locker proved you can have poignant moments and serious set pieces, but they don't need to be as over the top as they are here. I mean, But, I mean, was the Hurt Locker enjoyable? It was nerve-shredding and tense, yeah. but I don't know if I enjoyed so it. I would say enjoyed. But, yeah. if, but I mean, but the, we are talking so silly here that we, you mentioned Call of Duty that... The, the Taliban foot soldiers. At one point, there's a guy firing what looks like a 50 cal machine gun whilst just standing up, and they mm. they run, they literally run, they they just walk over over mountaintops Do, into know, the oncoming fire, like like something out of Invasion USA, and they're just they're just sitting there randomly firing AK 47s. Do you remember the hip. Paul? It's uh, just no one would fight like that. No the, one. In the early man <laughs> review, we mentioned that Richard Ayoade has a, ca- a cameo in that movie, right? As a, yeah. as a voice performance. 
do you remember back to uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place where Richard Iowadi's character exactly like firing exactly a shotgun that, yeah. into the air? It's the mother. Yeah, it's it exactly, kind of reminds yeah, you of that. It's exactly like that. There's so many. There's so many scenes where you're like, there's no, you don't know who's firing. This doesn't seem to. The bullets don't appear to be making any impact at all. But you just, you just can't do it. The, the scene at the end again. It's it's very intense, but. They've got 40 right, and it's just everything's exploding. Chris Hemsworth riding round on horseback, just shoot again, just shooting off one arm with an M16, which I, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never got close to combat. I don't think it happened like it looks that. It's quite hard like, to do that effectively, yeah, yeah, doesn't it? It's quite difficult to do that effectively. It's just, and it's just become such overblown, sort of gung ho flag waving nonsense towards the end. So, that it's difficult to, in, to, to take it anywhere near seriously. Yeah, enough, you're I right. I mean, Paul, you, you touched on the, the cast here, and, and uh, you think, or you are of the opinion that the cast relatively strong performance wise right and I agree on apart from the villain Chris Hemsworth <laughs> yeah I, I mean I think for me less so Michael Shannon I, I love Michael Shannon as an actor by and large um, he was in that thing Pottersville which is just uh, execrable and, and avoid at all costs recently but he's got to get paychecks over Christmas but he feels to me like his face doesn't quite fit with this material. I don't really buy him. It's an Michael unusual Shannon. choice of film for him. To be yeah, I, I don't really buy him. I buy him in, in, you know, what was that movie we played? A serial killer. Um, you know, the, 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 the I cold as ice. No, I don't know what it was called. The Iceman. The Iceman. Yeah. Cold as ice. Assassin yeah. On the yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like an assassin. Right. I buy him in those kind of brooding, you know, a solo kind of guys. But as part of a team of the lads going to, I just, I just didn't really buy him. I don't think it really worked too well for me. Michael Penny is okay. But again, the backstory with Michael Pena seemed odd. Maybe that's exactly what happened. But the fact that he was going to be sent to prison, then got sent to the military, but he goes straight into a special forces yeah. unit. Is that real? I don't know. Maybe it is. I'm not a military guy. Someone can write in and tell us all about that. We've also got like William Fickner's in this. Um, and he's, uh, he's bald. Fun. He's bald. Bizarre, yeah. Very yeah. odd. Just yeah. did not suit him. He's always good though. He's Rob, always ready for Rob me. Riggle as well, who's a guy that you'd recognise even if you don't know his name, yeah. uh, came from the Upright Citizens Brigade, the comedy troupe with like Amy Poller and stuff like that uh, former Marine himself oh, okay. and it turns out much like Adam Driver which I didn't realise as well as oh, a really? former Marine yeah. it, it turns out that he actually served under the car- the guy whose character he plays in the movie in real life if, if you're you doing follow, your research you I'm can impressed. follow that yeah, yeah. so uh, obviously there's like some military know-how into this film it's just that at certain crucial points, it all, like you said, Paul, feels a little bit daft and a little bit sort of boy's own. Yeah, and, not and it's so a bit much. two hours, ten minutes. It drags. It does go rumble on a bit long. It's one of those films where, as you think it's going to end, it just continues, and then you're like, oh, there's another another set piece yet. It could have been better than it was. It's not a complete disaster. It's not. It's not without merit as a film, but I would say there's a lot, a lot of other things you could be watching other than and Twelve Strong. Like talking about that tension thing, because you know. You don't need me to tell you, lads or listeners, that being in these kinds of war situations is going to be incredibly tense, incredibly scary. And one thing that I always feel is like a little bit unforgivable is when that isn't properly conveyed Mm. on screen. And like you mentioned before, uh, The Hurt Locker, incredibly tense. Even things like um, The Wall that we reviewed not too long ago... I think does a better job yeah, at, at bringing that. Yeah. that tension and what it might feel like to be there in those kind of critical moments and something that I've talked about before Kajaki like those kind of films coming from the outside and not knowing maybe about the ins and outs of the, the life of a, a soldier they put me there a lot more effectively than this whereas this does too much feel like maybe a bit Call of Duty and a bit like 
uh, a bit of a fantasy on behalf of, of some of the people involved, yeah. albeit based on sort of true information and very valiant information and, and deeds and, and stuff like that. Oh, and an interesting thing before we round off our review, Paul, uh, Chris Hemsworth plays opposite his real life wife, wife in this yes. movie, which does. is a, a bit of something to uh, for, for the trivia fans out there. Um, but overall, uh, what's your what's your? Do you know what, I can sum this up actually? And what I should have said, and this would have made the whole review pointless. Um, it's produced by Joe Bruckheimer. So we should have said at the beginning. Uh, yeah. Warfare, a gun ho flag wave and warfare, and produced by Joey Bruckheimer. You should know exactly what to expect when you go in. Yeah, this <laughs> is where I think um, the discerning film fan starts to make those connections. Right, you see the credits roll. You stay for the credits if you're a proper sort of film fan at the end of the film, and you see a Jerry Bruckheimer, and you just give that little, you know, sort of that that roll of the eyes or that little yes. nod to the screen, like. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course, sense. that's what that is. So 12 Strong was on, I think, your most anticipated films of the year, was it not? Producer it Jack? was, yeah. And unfortunately, and you went to see early I man didn't instead. get to see it. I went to see Early Man, which I probably wasted my time on. But, you know, <laughs> never mind. Um, are, are you going to, given what we've said about it, do you think you'll catch up with this? I think I will, because uh, I do enjoy Chris Hemsworth as an actor. And I think that's probably the main reason why I picked it up and it was my anticipated film and I think so. he's decent as Paul yeah, said as I said I think yeah. he's decent he'll do more good sort of serious stuff as well as you know Thor yeah. uh, and all that marvelly uh, business and sometimes I just enjoy like just sitting back and watching all that sort of action stuff anyway so. yeah and, and on that level I think it does a, a, a mediocre job not yeah, a terrible it's okay. job it's okay um, right before we go we're going to we're bringing something back and we're going to get straight into it because we've overrun what are we a bringing back, to Paul? fit this in tell, tell us uh, credits so when we initially put the format up of the trip through the cinema, obviously every film ends with a credit, and our podcast used to end with a credit section. Which yeah, we, 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 we would give very, credits to something. To be fair, we only did the middling job of doing. So we're gonna we're gonna give it, I think, trial run, bringing it back. Um, and this week, what we're gonna do on credits? We've talked about Letterbox before, which if you haven't, know, if you don't know about that, definitely log on that. You can uh, sort of review all your films it's like a social media network. Review all the films you've seen, keep diaries, check people's stats, and that kind of thing. It's very very yeah. cool. Um, but so I wanted to pay. Credit to we both wanted me myself and Pete wanted to pay credit to another couple of film websites you may not have heard of. Do you want to go first, Pete, on this one? Yeah, well, my pick for this little segment, um, I want to give credit to a little app that I found, a program that I found recently called Upflix. That's U P F L I X. Um, Android app, I think it's probably on iOS and stuff as well. All this app does is it will tell you what comes on to Netflix newly each day. Uh, in sort of real time and what is going to leave Netflix soon this sounds very simple but this is a resource that I've wanted for ages because sometimes you think how can I prioritise what I'm going to watch on Netflix it might be that I'll see this today because tomorrow it leaves on the other hand uh the things that are coming up give you something to sort of anticipate and something to pencil into your diary. Paul, what have you got? Uh, I've got uh, Blu-ray.com, which for anyone who likes physical media like myself is, kind of, I would say, an essential resource, really. Um, you can basically look up any Blu-ray release from around the world, put in a film, uh, put in your little country, select the country flag on the website, and it will tell you if the Blu-ray is available in that country. It will give you the release dates of every Blu-ray that's coming up, and basically list every Blu-ray that's on general release. It's a very, very right. good. So you hear resource, something reviewed so. on this here show, and you think, oh, "I want to get that on Blu-ray." Check out Blu-ray.com, and then yes, you can find out the, the exactly. Um, but that is it for this week. Next week we'll be back with uh, feature reviews of Paul Thomas Anderson's new one, The Phantom Thread, and Den of Thieves. Um, catch us on StrangeInTheCinema.co.uk. 
uh, Stranger in Cinema on Instagram, at Stranger Cinema on Twitter. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next week. See ya. Shut up and sit down.